You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today we begin a six-week series on marriage. It really is about all relationships, but especially marriage. Let me tell you a little bit about Lori and me. We are able to help all of you who have done something wrong because we have done things wrong. We can relate to you. We met when she was a freshman in high school. I was a freshman in college. Her family moved right next door to my family. Pretty easy, pretty cheap of me. (laughs) When we married, she was 19, I was 22. How many of you didn't know much about life and relationships at that age? Neither did we, so we got married. And I'll tell you, and Lori will tell you, those first two years were really hard. We were both Christians, but we really struggled navigating how to do disagreements, how to handle money, how to handle family and friends. We didn't get real help until we got real with God. And I wish I could tell you that years three through 40 were a piece of cake. Look, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. We still struggle, but they, those struggles are far and away handled much better than early on. I, I thought it might be fun to show you um, one of her wedding photos. <laughs> I'm the one on the right. And before anybody takes any pictures, quickly move on to the next one. This was us leaving um, after we had changed and we were leaving the the church. Um, This was in Jacksonville, Florida. Put your phone down. (laughs) Let's, we'll go to the blank slide now, please. Thank you. So that was, that was us, July, 1983. Now I, I, I have a feeling you all would say that Lori fared much better in the intervening years than I have. And you know why? Because women age like wine. Men age like milk. That was July 1983. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary. We've made mistakes. We've learned things the hard way. And like us, we want to get real help from a real God who's really helpful. And so we're going to go to our story today. It's in John chapter 4. And we're going to look at a case study of a woman that Jesus encounters by a well. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible... It covers thousands of years of history, and it's all God's story about one person, Jesus. And today's passage highlights one other person that he has an encounter with, and this will establish a pattern and precedent that's very helpful and very important for all of us. So in John chapter 4, Jesus has a meeting with a woman at the well, simply known as the Samaritan woman. Here's how the story begins. So he, that is Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. They're in the desert. It's hot. It's dry. Walking all day, when you pull into town, you look for the one source of water that's in that town, the well, and that's where Jesus finds this woman. Jacob's well was there. So next verse, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's this great racial and um, religious divide, conflict that's going on here. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Go get your husband. <laughs> well, that would be a minivan full. <laughs> she continues. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. She's referring to the Samaritan mountain of Mount Gerizim. But you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. It comes from, salvation comes from the line of Abraham, culminating in Jesus Christ, who is standing right in front of her. Yet a time is coming, he continues, and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, 
the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the case study. The woman at the well in Samaria. Now, to have you understand how this works geographically. Galilee is in the north. Judea is in the south. In the north are such famous biblical sites such as the Sea of Galilee and Nazareth, Capernaum. In the south are such biblical famous sites as Bethlehem, Jerusalem. These are the two regions, the north and the south. These two regions are where God's people live. They know the Bible. They know who God is. They worship according to biblical teachings when human sin isn't taking over. And in the middle of these two regions is the area called Samaria. These people basically created a cult. They took a little bit of the Bible and and took some parts out, put some other parts in. They created their own religion, their own Bible, their own priesthood, their own temple. And as a result, they're very convoluted. They're very confused. They are idolaters. They worship the wrong God and the wrong religion at the wrong place. They're confused. And so God's people, when they would want to travel from north to south or vice versa, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. So they wouldn't run into Samaritans, wouldn't have to talk to Samaritans, wouldn't have to even see Samaritans. Now to go straight through is about a two to three day journey if you're going north to south or vice versa. To go around is about four to six days. You really know that you want to avoid people when you're walking through the desert an extra couple of days. But Jesus, rather than going around, we're told that he goes through and he pulls into town and he goes to a well at noon, which is not where holy men tended to be. And he talks to a woman, a conversation that holy men tended not to have. And he sits down and has a conversation with her about relationships. There's going to be several numbered things we're going to look at today, a couple of three different lists. And I want you to see from this case study, first of all, seven aspects of being emotionally unhealthy. Seven contributors to emotional unhealth. Number one, isolation. Isolation is not healthy. Whether you choose it for yourself or someone else chooses it for you in a way of making you marginalized, rejected, an outcast, How many of you had a friend group? But that friend group continued to meet and all of a sudden you got removed from it. That's exactly what's happening here. It says that she goes to the well at noon. Now in that day, no one, especially a woman, would do heavy work outside in the middle of the day. A woman, usually with children in tow, would go to the well in the cool of the morning. 
And it would be a social time. Other women would gather with their children and they would talk and they would visit. And then finally they would carry their water jars back home. But this woman came by herself in the heat of the midday because she was an outcast. She was rejected. She was the one with a bad reputation and there was no hope for any change for her. And there's no indication she has any children. So she is by herself practically all the time. Number two, an unhealthy neediness for relationships. If you've had five spouses and then you're living with number six, the need for relationships is severe. Look, God made us and said it's not good for us to be alone. But this is an unhealthy need for relationships. Do you know someone who's emotionally needy? They're always demanding, always seeking attention. That's this woman. And as a result, she's been through five husbands and is now living with someone which in that day was very uncommon. Now, I know it's more common in our day. But do you know that cohabitation before marriage statistically leads to a greater increase in divorce? You wouldn't think that'd be true. It is. Number three, no helpful family. Again, there's no indication of mention of parents, extended family, no one in her corner to help guide her. Number four, spiritually confused. She's a spiritual person, but spirituality does nothing. Only the real God can heal and forgive and help. She has the wrong God, the wrong religion. Like in our day, she believes that spirituality is a good thing. Spirituality is not a good thing. In the spirit realm is God and Satan, angels and demons. Just because you're spiritual does not lead to a healthy relationship or a life-giving relationship with the real God. It could be a death inducing negative, deceptive relationship with demonic forces that are seeking your demise. Number five, repeating unhealthy relationship patterns. I'm going to move in with this guy, marry him, divorce him. And then I'm going to move in with this guy, marry him and divorce him. And then I'm going to move in with it. How many of you have ever had this thought? Well, that relationship didn't work because... They're the problem. Well, this one doesn't work because they're the problem. Now, if there's abuse or infidelity on their part, they are the problem. But what could be the other option? You're the problem. Maybe you're not emotionally healthy. Maybe you attract the wrong kind of people. That's the situation she finds herself in. And we have a myth in our culture. I need to find my soulmate. I need to find the one. No, you need to be the one. And the whole idea of a soulmate, that comes from Greek philosophy, by the way. Biblical thinking is two 
selfish people get married and they work hard at God's design for the two of them to become one. Maybe you've heard this. Ruth Graham was once asked, have you ever considered divorcing Billy? She said, divorce, no, but I've contemplated murder. (laughs) So what the Samaritan woman is doing, she keeps taking her pattern of unhealthy emotional relationships and, and she's handing the script to the next person in line. Number six, carrying irresponsible people. Some of you are overly responsible Some of you are irresponsible. How many of you are overly responsible? You need to raise both hands. (laughs) You're like, you know what? I I take care of my responsibilities and your responsibilities. And how many of you are irresponsible? Now, don't raise your hands because you're too irresponsible to raise your hand. (laughs) Irresponsible people are seeking overly responsible people to take care of them. Some of you married a man because he needed you and you needed, to be ma- you needed to be needed. Now he feels like your child and you're ready to kill him because you're just taking care of him. Now what happens when you carry irresponsible people is this. All of a sudden you've got your responsibilities and theirs and that's what's happening in this relationship. This man, number six, should have courted her, married her, and then lived with her as it is. He doesn't want to marry her, doesn't want to commit to her, doesn't want to covenant with her. And number seven, settling for mediocrity. It reaches the point where some of us are so desperate for relationships I'm lonely, I'm hurting, I'm needy, I'm struggling, I can't make it, I need someone to be with me. Again, the Bible says it is not good for us to be alone. You are made for relationships, but you find yourself in a very dangerous position when you will settle for any relationship. This relationship that she's in, He doesn't love her. He's not nurturing a relationship with the Lord. He doesn't know the Lord. She doesn't know the Lord. He's not encouraging her to heal from her past hurts. He is taking a vulnerable woman and using her, taking advantage of her for his own benefits, not going to commit to her, not going to covenant with her. So if we're being honest, how many of those boxes could you check? Isolation, you're not really in a relationship with God's people. Unhealthy neediness, you're, you're sort of desperate. No helpful family around you. You're spiritually confused. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you have a pattern of unhealthy relationships. You're the responsible one caring for an irresponsible one, or maybe you're the irresponsible one. Or you've just settled. The more of those categories that you check, the less likely you are to be emotionally healthy. So where does this woman go for help? Her culture? They're of no help. They're confused. This man that she's with, he's of no help. She's isolated. 
and alone, she has no one. And then Jesus shows up, and he sits with this woman at the well. This is not where holy men went, Samaria. This is not what holy men do, talk to women in public. This is not what Jewish leaders do, talk to Samaritans. Jesus never sins, but he is willing to violate a lot of cultural taboos in order to find people who are far away from him. So we've looked at the case study for this woman. Now we need to see Jesus' part and how he serves her. So again, a list of seven. These are seven ways that Jesus brings emotional health. Number one, Jesus is a safe person. So many other men in her life have been unsafe. They've taken advantage of her, manipulated her. They've been selfish. They have taken, not given. Here's what I need you to know about Jesus. When it comes to relationships, Jesus is safe. He doesn't shame. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't use people. He doesn't abuse people. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you've been through, Jesus is a safe person. He is there for you. Number two, Jesus pursues unhealthy people. No one is pursuing this woman. She goes to the well all by herself every day. No one is pursuing her. God gets off of his throne, enters into human history, and takes a long walk through a desolate desert and sits at a well to pursue her. You need to see that this is how God works some of you haven't been pursuing God. You haven't been turning your attention to God, but God has been pursuing you. Some of you don't even know that you need God. God knows your need for him, and he is pursuing you. Number three, Jesus forgives sin. Jesus talks about her sin. You and I, we're sinners. So let's deal with her story. She shouldn't have married five guys and then been sleeping with the, the sixth. There were things that she did that were manipulative. She was sinful. She did wrong. And Jesus brings these up, not in a condemning way, but in a forgiving way. One of the ways that we become emotionally unhealthy is when we don't experience forgiveness of sin and we just carry the sin of the past into our present. This woman is literally bringing hell up into her life. There is death and devastation and destruction. There is no life. There is no love. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to forgive her sin. Here's what happens when we sin. And again, we all sin and we all know it. Finish these thoughts for me. Nobody's perfect. We all make, yes, that's what sinners say, just so you know. We're, we've all sinned against God and we need to be forgiven. That's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus asks this woman to get her husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five and you're now with guy number six. 
And Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to die. And he's going to substitute himself and endure all the punishment. So she can bring all of her baggage, all of her hurt, all of her failure, all of her grief at Jesus' feet. So she can move forward in her life with Jesus. You cannot be emotionally healthy. You cannot be relationally healthy until you're forgiven. And that that guilt and shame and burden and condemnation is transferred from you to Jesus. He takes the punishment for it all. And you get blessed by what he has done. And God wants to forgive you and walk with you to help you. Number four, Jesus imparts his emotional life in us by the Spirit. She's sitting at the well and she is drawing water to nourish her body. And what Jesus says is, you've neglected one other aspect of your being. You see, we're all one person, but we're two parts. You are a physical body and a spiritual soul. And what we tend to get is a lot of training and teaching related to how to take care of our physical body, but almost nothing when it comes to how to feed and nourish our soul. And every day this woman goes to the well. She's trying to get water for her body. She gets no life-sustaining nourishment for her soul. And that's what Jesus is going to say in addition. She doesn't need to just go to a well to draw water for her body. She needs another well that God is going to provide, a spiritual well that she doesn't go to. It comes with her. And it will be an inexhaustible source of life through the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain to you how this works. God becomes a man. Jesus Christ lives on earth by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And the way that Jesus is emotionally healthy and relationally healthy is by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It is not possible to be relationally and emotionally healthy apart from Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this woman needs. She doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Once she receives Jesus and the Holy Spirit, now she can get healthy. Now she can have healthy relationships. You need water for your body. You need the Spirit for your soul. Only in Him do we get well. This woman doesn't understand that in an instant, in one conversation on one day, not only will it change her life, it will change her eternal life because God is going to take up residence in her soul. She was having this theological argument. Like, well, uh, should we go to Mount Gerizim, you know, where the false religions worship, or, uh, or, or, or is the place Jerusalem? And Jesus says, well, how about God comes to you? You don't go to God. How about God lives in you? God changes you. God transforms you. God puts emotional life and health in you. And that's what God offers all of us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Number five, the Holy Spirit gives us self-control. 
This woman's decision-making up to this point has been exclusively emotionally based. Emotions are like the engine for your life. There's a lot of combustion, a lot of explosion. It leads to a, you know, a, a lot of forward movement. But imagine your life without a steering wheel. There's no emotional self-control. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So this woman is like, I love him. I love him. I love him. And she keeps repeating that pattern. She's literally out of control, just driven by her emotions. And I want you to see that to be emotionally unhealthy, you have an emotional life that doesn't have a steering wheel in it. You will eventually run over people and crash and have head-on collisions and you're not understanding why. Why is, is life so hard? Why are these relationships not working? The Spirit gives self-control. Number six, Jesus' relationship becomes our pattern for relationships. I don't want to speculate too much, but maybe this woman grew up in a home where she didn't have godly mom and dad. She grew up with unhealthy relationships, so that's all she knew to enter into was unhealthy relationships. She has no standard no template for what is normal and healthy. Many of us are that way. And once she meets Jesus, she realizes what a healthy relationship looks like, where there's love and forgiveness and kindness and safety and help and hope. You see, once you meet Jesus, that is your first healthy relationship. And as you have a healthy relationship with Jesus, it starts a pattern and a precedent for all your relationships. And number seven, Jesus makes us emotionally healthy, life-giving people. She's a woman who has been isolated. She's not contributing to others. Others have not been contributing positively to her. Once she meets Jesus and she can get emotionally healthy, she can become a life-giving person. The two kind of persons, two kinds of people we're talking about here. People who take life and people who give life. Life-taking people, you know who they are. Because when you're about to meet with them, you're dreading it in advance. But life-giving people, on the other hand, you can't wait to go see them. You're like, man, I, when I meet with them, I get so much encouragement. I, I, I feel so much energized, more hopeful. She runs into town and she becomes one of the first evangelists in the New Testament. She knows very little, but she says it very passionately. She tells the Samaritans in her village... I, met I think I've met the Savior the whole town gets together it's like a mini revival they go out to meet Jesus Jesus stays with them for a couple of days and all of a sudden she's taking the life that Jesus has imparted to her and she's starting to impart it to others I'm going to close with two principles for relational health Number one is the God first 
principle. The result of all her relationships, they're failing. Because her first relationship is not succeeding. How many of you know that when you're given steps, step one, step two, it's important to go in order? So today, step one, you you took a shower. Step two, you got dressed. If you do that in reverse, it doesn't go so well. Step one, I got dressed. Step two, I got in the shower. (laughs) The result wasn't so good. So step one is a relationship with God. This woman doesn't have a relationship with God first. So let me ask you, how is your relationship with God? Is God in your life? Is he first? Do you go to him before you consult anyone else? Do you take life from him before you start to give it or take it from someone else? Because here's what happens. There there are three kinds of relationships, and I'm going to use the analogy of buckets since we've been talking about a well The first relationship is two empty bucket people who say, I need love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'd like you to fill my bucket. And the other person comes along with their empty bucket and says, well, I don't have any of that. (laughs) What do you mean you don't have any of that? I I need that. Well, I thought you were bringing that into the marriage. (laughs) No, that's what I thought you were for. Two empty bucket people will not make a full relationship. The second kind of relationship is one person with a full bucket, one with an empty bucket. And the person with the empty bucket says, oh, go read your Bible and tell me what it says. Then you go to church and tell me what that's like. And then pray and tell God what I need. And then go get filled up in some of that love from God and then come back and bring it to me. The empty bucket person is taking while the full bucket person is receiving from the Lord and giving it over to the empty bucket person. And it's like the empty bucket person has drilled a hole in their bottom and says, oh, I need more. I need more love. I need more wisdom. I need more forgiveness. Can you go and get that for me and bring it back? A healthy relationship on the other hand is both empty bucket people going to Jesus and saying, fill me up. Lord, I need wisdom. I need love. I need patience. I need grace. I need forgiveness. And then you go to each other and say, oh, here's what the Lord has poured into me. Well, thank you. And here's what the Lord has poured into me. And you together get filled by what God has in store for you. That's the God first principle. That the bucket of your life can only be filled by God. Otherwise, your spouse will be crushed. Your friends will be crushed. Because if they love you, they will try as hard as they can to fill your bucket. And they will be sad because they will not succeed. They will fail, not because they're evil, not because they're bad, but because they're human. And number two, the I am a Samaritan principle. You're a Samaritan, I'm a Samaritan. If we look at this story, there are only two people. 
Jesus and the woman. And when we read stories from the Gospels, one of the things that we need to do is to find out, okay, which character am I in the story? You're not Jesus. (laughs) You are not the source of eternal life. So that only leaves us with one other option. What that means is we all start where she started. And by God's grace, if we meet with Jesus, we can end up where she ended. She met the real God and got real help and real hope to be really changed. I want you to understand the purpose of our church and churches like ours that are seeking to follow Jesus Christ. We are to be a well in the desert. There was a desert, there was a well that people would come and gather to get water to sustain life. Our church exists to be a spiritual well where you can come and gather around and meet Jesus as this woman did so that you can be honest and be real and get help and get hope and get healing so that you can be emotionally healthy person who's capable of having emotionally, relationally healthy relationships. The Bible talks about a walk with God. You know what's required in a walk? Steps. So for some of you, the first step today is to become a Christian. Give Jesus your sin so that you can get forgiveness. You can get healed up. For some of you, next step is getting involved in a Bible study or Sunday school group. For some of you, you've got to start reading your Bible. For others, it is time to start praying. For some of you, you need to be in church every week so that you can continue drinking from this life-giving word of God in community. And let me say this, there are many people who I would put in a category of dehydrated believers. You know, as soon as the body, our physical body gets dehydrated, we are in a dangerous position that could even lead to death. A dehydrated believer is someone who knows the Lord, but your prayer life, your Bible reading, your worship time is just not happening for you. And some of you would say, well, I am so busy. You know what? You're never too busy to drink water. In fact, in this climate, these months, if you don't drink enough water, it is dangerous. So you know what? Your soul needs the Holy Spirit at least as much as your body needs water. We want to be a well where you meet with Jesus. We want this place to be where the Holy Spirit is present. We want this to be a place where you can replenish your soul, where you can go out into a very desolate, dark, barren, thirsting, relationally broken world and truly live. Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to heal you. And if you'll take those steps, it will transform your life. It will transform your relationships. It will transform your marriage.
We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.